Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Monday, October 19th, 2020, and it is time, ladies and gentlemen, diggity donks, for Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. I am one half of your hosting duo on this Hangover Monday. Big weekend of combat sports to get to, but we have to get to the other side of the screen. It is my friend and yours, the conspiracy to my theory. It's Brian Campbell. Brian was unavailable by text yesterday because he was doing a puzzle. Is, did I get that right, BC? Yeah, you know, that's how I choose to spend my time, Luke. 2,000 pieces, a little Genesis in the headphones. Just, you know, you got to retry. Luke, when you give and you give and you give, like we did last week to the MK Nation, you got to, you know, recharge, okay? I don't care. You can call me old. You can call me whatever you want, Luke. This show ain't live. I, I could have a wardrobe malfunction, all right? I'm ready to go off at any point. Let's do this thing. Usually my Monday nights are when I recharge because I have to work all day Sunday. Uh, but in any case, you're right. Should we note off the top? We should. The show is not live today. We put out a statement on social media about it. Should just be a one-time thing. Sincerest apologies. I think by Wednesday, fingers crossed, knock on wood, we should be right back to where we started. But we're going to get uh, you know dissected up. The interviews are going to continue this week. All the other stuff for MK rolls on. Just working through some challenges here behind the scenes for Monday's show. So sorry about that. But it's still going to be the same quality, BC. Still you and me. It's still yeah. have you seen this shit. It's still DMs from Donks. It's still a lot of good stuff. It's still Jay. I don't know if we can get Jay on the air, but it's not his <laughs> fault. He's still on the show. Where oh, there he is. There's the aircraft carrier. Guys, here we go. By the way, you have blasted Jay so much that I had an issue with my live chat on Thursday, which, by the way, is unrelated to this. And the issue was I've got this new mixer that I've been using uh, for the live chat, and the settings got all messed up. Jay had nothing to do with it, right? It was really my error and the new equipment error, but that's not the equipment's fault. Poor Carpenter blames his tools. It was my fault. Uh, everyone in the comments blamed Jay. <laughs> yes, Everybody blamed Jay. Of course, the irony is I was the only one that offered to help with that as well. Uh, I know, and then Jay sends an email actually figuring out what the problem was. He was actually the solution, BC. Can you believe that? Well, you know, hey, Jay, welcome to our show. Uh, there's no escape once you join the uh, the MK family there. So, uh, Facts. Happy, and uh, pleasure happy, to be here. Really. Happy Brian right. Johnson pleasure Day to you. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Well, if you're not out there collecting shirts as part of the president of the Bechcohea fan club, you can do something else. You can go to Showtime.com right now, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go about your merry way. We always recommend Showtime content. By the way, if you get Showtime and you get the app, you can check us out there, Morning Combat, Strike Force Classics, me, BC, Morinello, Scott Coker, just reliving great Strike Force memories and then watching fights. That is available on there for your uh, uh, on demand services. Uh, if you want to get some MK merch, BC, like this amazing hoodie. Yes. And look at that beanie. Look at that oh, beanie yeah. right there. You can go oh, to yeah. store.show.com. Keeps you warm in the winter, cool in the summer. And then last but not least, uh, give this video a thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button. Let the, let the continuation of the MK movement uh, keep growing, BC. Any, any other final thoughts before we get started? Uh, just, you know, thank you to our people. Our numbers are increasing. We promised you if you stay with us, if you subscribe, if you like the video, if you join where this rocket ship is going, you'll you'll be plenty satisfied. Now, I do want to thank everybody for uh, boosting our numbers, being a part of it. Great feedback from the folks this weekend. Great fights right across MMA and boxing. So this is why we do it. And it was uh, it. I can only say thank you. We're having a great time. 
All right, well, with that in mind, we've got five major topics to get to, so let's roll right into them if we can. I believe I have to go this way, yes? Because I have to do the mirror image. Yes, there we go. Topic number one, Brian Ortega is back, ladies and gentlemen. He gets an emphatic win. Now, I did put up an immediate reaction, but we haven't heard from BC, and I've got some additional thoughts. First things first, BC, Brian Ortega, what do you want to say? Just dummies the Korean zombie, wins 50-45, on all three judges' scorecards. So right, BC, that's not Brian Ortega on the screen. I know we're not live here. Can we can we sort this shit out, Jay? What are we doing here? Yeah, we got Corey Sandhagen up there. Really, Jay is just knocking this one out the park. In fact, if you look at the rundown there, BC, it's the entire rundown, I think, from last week. So that's fun. Neither ah, here nor there. BC, forget all that nonsense. Yes. Talk to me. 50-45 across all three judges' scorecards. Brian, uh, he was never in danger. He did amazingly well. The question is this. What does the win tell us? Uh, it tells us a lot of really good things about Brian Ortega. That two years of cage rust was not an issue whatsoever, as Dominic Cruz would say. It's not even a thing in his vocabulary. And even though he did admit after the fight in the post-fight press conference that, yeah, he did donate the hair to a good cause, he cut it due to a bad way cut. All that concern we had coming in, all that reason that Ortega gave me, to pick the Korean zombie who was peaking, who was coming in red hot. Uh, we were wrong. I was wrong. I mean, maybe that's why Luke doesn't like to make picks. I'm just not afraid to come in here and tell you. I was wrong, and I was happy to be wrong. Because Brian Ortega is a great fighter who, before the long layoff, had showed you such flashes of brilliance, first with the jiu-jitsu, then in the evolved striking game. But he used the two years off through sustained injuries to do nothing but work on himself, and it showed. Here is a smooth, complete fighter who understands distance, game planning, angles, feints, all the sophisticated things that people like you, Luke, fill up MK Dissected episodes about. This guy came out there and showed you that right now, forget the layoff, he is a legitimate threat to that featherweight title, and he made a great fighter in the Korean Zombie Really look basic for five rounds. Who would have thought it would be that case coming in? And best thing I'll say, Luke, he never even took the fight to the ground, which was his strength. He kept it on the feet. It wasn't just technical. He perfectly mixed in a variety of power shots. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but we are looking at an absolute complete stud fighter right now. Yeah, that was amazing. My initial reaction on Saturday night, for folks who may not have seen the instant reaction vid that I did, my first thought in putting that video together was if someone asked me what was one word you would use to describe the striking, the overall performance, but you know, as you indicated, it was you know almost entirely a striking affair. What would you call it? And I would call it thoughtful. To me, he was he was thinking through the problems he was facing. He was thinking through what challenges he wanted to set up for the Korean zombie. He was letting the game come to him. He wasn't forcing anything. He wasn't rushing anything. And it wasn't effortless. I mean, you could tell the guy was in there working and, and making decisions. You could see the wheels turning. But it had a nice flow. It, it just seemed like he was in command of it. A lot of times previously when you watched Brian Ortega strike, he shows you flashes of great things. We talked about like that elbow he hit Edgar with. I mean, that was phenomenal, right? All of that is great. But it just seemed like he would it sometimes get robotic or he wouldn't mind the things he needed to mind or he just he, he, he would lose concentration about what his central task was and would rush things a little bit and as a consequence at times got himself into trouble even if he could pull out a bit of a Hail Mary. Remember, he was losing the Guida and the Moicano fights 
until he won them at the very, very end, that third round, he was able to make those significant rallies. This time he didn't have to do, there was no rally. There was no come from behind. There was nothing. And like even small stuff, BC, like, you know, very deliberatively choosing which stance. And then when he picked his stance, what kind of weapons was he choosing? And when he chose the weapons, what kind of timing was there behind them? Everything just seemed very calculated. But BC, you know this, when you're learning a new skill, you might be able to say and recite, okay, when I go to this thing, I'm going to do that. And when I go to that, I'm going to follow it up with X. And when I follow it up with X, I'm going to follow it up with Y. You could think through it, but then to do it in a way where there's just it's frictionless, that takes time. That takes effort. And to your point, man, the two years off, he may have been two years off, BC, from fighting. He was not two years off from development, two years off from yeah. hardcore training, two years off from realizing, you know what? Max Holloway showed me there are some things I need to fix. Let's go in there and fix them. In fact, I watched the Holloway fight last night. As just a, What did it look like? Because sometimes you see things in your mind and you remember them. If you remember the Holloway and Ortega fight, what do you remember? The beating, right? So I went back and I watched it, and I was trying to see like, what were some similarities. There was a lot of good stuff in that fight for Brian Ortega that I think a lot of people forget, but there's a lot of bad. And the reasons why there was bad, and I'll save this for Dissected, they were not a part of this fight. He had what? fixed a lot of things. Mature, smart, credible. Let me ask you this, BC. Well, go ahead, I am, I am seeing online a lot of people saying, okay, Ortega looked great. Like, no one's taking anything away from him in that sense. But I am seeing a little bit of like, well, what about the idea that the Korean zombie just didn't show up? He did put out a social media post saying after he ate that spinning back elbow towards the end of the second round, he has no memory of rounds three, four, and five. But, you know, hello, he was losing rounds one and two. He got dropped in round one. Folks, forget that one as well. What about that argument? Well, I, I think that's wrong. And I think that, you know, you, you, you've tweeted something similar to this in the last couple of days. And I think you're right on whether we're talking about the Lomachenko-Lopez fight, which we will talk about, or whether we're talking about other recent fights, Adesanya uh, most recently, for example. Look, when someone's doing things extra sophisticated, taking the lead as the striker, um, they can disarm the other man. And I certainly, having picked the Korean zombie in this fight and having had high expectations for coming in, at first was disappointed, saying, look, throw, bro. You know what I mean? What are you doing? You're blowing it, son. You're basically giving away rounds. But I think when you do take a closer look, and it's something you do a great job with on Dissected, you'll find out that Ortega gave him multiple reasons not to throw. Uh, zombie's great when he, can, when he can walk all over you, when he can dictate the terms of this fight. This was a fight... Maybe, you know, maybe it was made extra hard by, let's say, getting potentially concussed by that spinning back elbow, although he showed a great chin to keep going. He was never comfortable. He was never in control. He was never really in the fight from the standpoint of that unspoken battle about who's taking the lead, who's controlling distance, all of those things that go into the terms of this fight. He was a step behind following Ortega around. And I really want to double and triple down, Luke, on the praise for Ortega here. Like... He sent all of us to hell that doubted him afterwards in a somewhat sure hilarious did. way, you know, saying all you who counted me out, learn how to F and count basically. But I like that. I'll take that L because here's a guy who came back from two years off and he went into a five round fight against a killer and never showed you a doubt cardio wise or, or game plan wise or toughness wise. What makes Brian Ortega the scariest in my eyes is not just his complete combination of a ground game and now a completely evolved uh, striking game. It's the intangibles mixed in. It's really not comparing Brian Ortega to John Jones, but what made John Jones 
any to go from a championship great level to an all-time great goat level the intangibles the fact that even on an off night he could pull it out the fact that even when bent backwards he would never break I think we already saw the toughness in Ortega in the Holloway fight. We know exactly what he's made of. But Luke, he had been very honest in recent... I, I love one of my favorite interviews. He'd been very honest the last four or five years that, you know, some personal issues had creeped into his life and made certain training camps or certain matchups or certain periods of his life tough. We talked, uh, you know, a couple weeks back that this game is 90% mental, yet all we talk about is 90% physical when we break it down. I think right now you're seeing a guy who's happy, who's cleared out members of his team as he talked about before this fight that were getting in the way he's figuring out how great he can be right now and it is a very scary equation because I don't see holes in his foundation meaning I'm not talking about the jujutsu or the striking I'm talking about the the focus I'm talking about the commitment talking about the toughness he has all of those things so there's really nothing stopping him Luke when we're talking about how does he match up now with Alexander Volkanovsky, who he will get next? I mean, you could not be coming into that fight off of such a questionable two-year period and fix it with one night, five rounds, 25 minutes, as Ortega did on Saturday. I'm, I'm sitting here in awe, happy for him. I, I think you would agree with me on this, BC. If, he had a lo if, if the fight was competitive and he would have lost... I think both of us probably would have forgiven him on some level. I mean, it would depend, you know, obviously on some of the specifics, right? And that part is a little bit hard to figure out. But, you know, you would have said, hey, two years off, coming back into a five-round fight. You know, the cardio and the training for that is different. Korean Zombie, who was on a roll since coming back in 2017, the Yair elbow notwithstanding, you, you would have had every – he had every reason to be justifiably in a losing position. And not only did he win – he won comfortably. I mean, that is a tremendous, tremendous statement. UFC has to be so happy. Yes, they would have been happy if I think Korean Zombie had won. The Korean market is one they've been trying to nurture and develop, you know, for a really long time. He's a very exciting fighter. Fans love him. But fans love Brian Ortega, too. Bilingual. He can do media in a couple of different languages. Uh, young guy, right? So you have a lot of time. Wind at his back to get him some, not just this big fight coming up against Volkanovski, but other big opportunities. It really is such a redemptive moment. And to do it in the cerebral way that he did it, where he had no reason to win and then won easily, I, I just find that so admirable. Now, you mentioned, BC, what is next. Topic number two for us here on the show today. It looks like Brian Ortega is going to be facing Alexander Volkanovsky next. Now, we don't know exactly when. Volkanovsky on social media seemed to indicate maybe in February. But all intents and purposes, for all the information that we know, it appears to be Volkanovsky versus Ortega, let's say sometime in 2021. Okay, BC, how does that fight go down? Uh, that's going to be a great fight. That, I mean, like we are we're overly spoiled, right? In terms of UFC right now. I mean, we're just talking about boxing finally got its ish together and gave us a great fight, and we got a couple more on the horizon. I feel like UFC every other week is setting us up with another. Oh my God, I have to see that. This is one of them, Luke, and I want to see it. And I think it's going to be technical as a ball bag. And in the past, I would have said, "How's Ortega going to fit into that?" But again, this performance was so overwhelming, I think he really leveled up to another level where that's the level you have to be at if you're going to walk into an Alexander Volkanovsky fight and, and try to play that math equation game with him, right? Try to be the janitor from Goodwill Hunting and try to figure that shit out, all, what they're doing down there in city cockboxing. You consider this man's length, his toughness, his ability to brawl if he has to, and oh, by the way, he's incredible on the ground. 
Uh, Luke, he's a. This is this might be the toughest matchup on paper. If this version of Ortega is as great as he looked, if this wasn't uh, fool's gold, if Zombie didn't shit his pants, if this is what we think it was, tell me if I'm wrong. Volkanovski's got his hands full, Luke. We may have to take the title away from that MMA math nerd and put it on this god from the city of Los Angeles because this guy is flying red hot right now. Uh, not enough necessarily to favor him, but I think those odds are going to be really close. I think they are. I think they're going to probably start out a little bit further spaced apart. And as time gets closer and the more you think about it, I think they're going to narrow. Probably will end up in a situation where Volkanovsky is still your favorite. And I think that's okay. I think the, the, the things he has shown make that not some kind of crazy or unfair or, you know, uh, some insult to Brian Ortega. It's a fair reflection of the kind of work and the talent that Volkanovsky has shown. But okay, let's talk about what this fight might look like. I find it so compelling because... Ortega is not like hardly anybody else in that division and certainly not like anyone else Volkanovsky has faced. I mean, on paper, Aldo has good jiu-jitsu and, you know, good striking. On paper, Max Holloway has great jiu-jitsu, right? But not in the kind of way where Ortega might all, almost in some ways invite the takedown. Like, by all means, please, let's go to the ground. And even if you go to the ground, are you going to get anything done there? They don't just award takedown points in the way that they used to in modern MMA, probably for better or for worse, maybe for better. So there's that. But the other part is, going back to the Korean zombie argument, people being like, why didn't he throw more? It is true that Korean Zombie was um, unusually reserved. But it's not unusually reserved uh, relative to like some high-level output standard. The thing you have to always measure is, what is his level of normal output, and where did he turn in relative to that? And he was well below his own average. And the reason why he was well below his own average is for a whole number of factors I'll get to later, but one of which is that Brian Ortega made him that way. He confused him. He did not let him get into range very often to throw the kinds of things that he wanted to. And when he was, Brian Ortega didn't uh, take the bait to engage in a brawl for very long. Again, we'll go over some of the specifics later on in a different video. Here's my point. I'm not going to call that a tune-up fight, BC, because fighting in a five-round main event against another possible number one contender is anything but. But it was the right kind of style to get, I think, Ortega back on his feet because I think he prefers that kind of style to go against. Now, Volkanovski is anything but that. He's not necessarily super high volume in terms of the number of strikes, but he is super high volume in terms of the amount of activity from the feints to the footwork to the angle changes and blah, blah, blah. The question you have to ask yourself is, while Volkanovski is different from the Korean zombie in that way, what does Brian Ortega have that could cause problems? One, as we mentioned, take him down at your own peril. I dare you, number one. Number two, he had better vision this time. Did you notice that? He could see things coming, either make a defensive read or an offensive one, depending on what he wanted to do. He just understood what was coming at him better and could adjust accordingly. We saw Max Holloway in the second fight stand his ground and have a lot more success doing it. That is something that is very available to Brian Ortega, both from that strategy standpoint and then the skills necessary to bring that strategy to life, especially if you're not worried about the takedown. I will say this. I think Volkanovski deserves to be favored. But Brian Ortega, with his, with his creative decision-making, like we saw with the spinning back elbow, with his ability to stand your ground and make reads now, with his total lack of fear about takedowns, ha, huh. Alexander Volkanovsky has his hands full, BC. You're damn right. Would you say that 
you know, Volkanovsky is a, a genius, right? And I'll give him a lot of credit for the uh, adjustments he made in that Max rematch to come back and make it close, even though I thought Holloway had won that fight. Um, do you believe that to some degree, though? Volkanovsky's great when when you underestimate him, when, when you when you when you maybe, you know, when you're not prepared exactly for that sort of weird MMA math style and then he could pull one out on you. But like Max in that rematch, when you when you take him as serious as you should and you have length and you can match his speed and IQ and power like there's not disrespect against Volkanovsky, but I feel like that height is going to catch up to him in the end against these longer mm. fighters who figure out what he's doing. Well, to an extent, wasn't that the story around Brian Ortega, right? Like, even if you favored him against pick somebody, Boy Connor or Guido, these two fights I'm talking about, he was losing those and then kind of came back. He had this sort of like, not me against the world attitude, but um, somebody who was winning, not really despite some flaws, but was winning in situations that maybe somebody just a little bit lesser than him would not have. It was that extra something that he had that pushed him over the finish line, and that ran into a brick wall against someone like Max Holloway, right, where he, that was just too much of a bridge too far. So when thinking about it on the other side, I know you asked about um, uh, Volkanovski, but in thinking about it on the Ortega side, I will say this. Just because he has a chip on his shoulder now and he may not necessarily be favored, that's not a guarantee to get him a win. It, it never is. But I like him being in that position for his chances versus some kind of expectation that he's going to waltz in there and handle somebody. I like it when Brian Ortega has something to prove. And now with the work being done and the skills being developed, he can really prove things in a way that I don't think he could before. On the Volkanovsky side, you know, I tend to not buy into these narratives for him because he doesn't do a lot of media. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't pay attention to the odds. He's... He's not trying to sell you somebody. He's not, not that Ortega is either, but he's not a media darling in the way that Ortega can be. He's just kind of there to do the work. The thing that Ortega has to get around for me is going to be much more strategic. When you have a guy who can move like that, who can set angles like that, who is fainting like that, who is just so hard to read, how do you take that away from him? You're not going to take him down, at least not very often. He's very hard to take down. So are you going to do your own feints to stop him? Are you going to make reads and then intercept him? A combination of both. That's really the key task. What you have to ask yourself is, is somebody like Brian Ortega up to that task? Well, it, you know, in fairness to Ortega, he also has his hands full uh, to, to, in terms of Volkanovski because that's, that's a very difficult thing to defeat. But I just feel like if, this was the, if he had gotten lucky against Max or something where he was getting his ass whooped in that fourth and goes out for a fifth and gets a Hail Mary guillotine, I wouldn't like his chances at all against Volkanovski, but he redeveloped. And so for those reasons, I think either guy has a very good chance to beat the other one. Luke, final thought on this. Some people were speculating after Ortega's great performance saying, oh my God, I think we know now what he's done those last two years. I did see some memes floating around collecting all the females who had been publicly attached to Ortega during that same two years. I would go as far as saying this a little Jeter-esque. You got any comments on that? I'll say this, though. You know what was kind of funny? I didn't see that, but I was thinking about his, his uh, shaved head because it doesn't do him any justice. You know, I had a shaved head for most of my 20s, and um, I'll never forget this, BC. This is and a you true didn't story. pull the ever... same tail. Is this how this no. story ends? You no, didn't no, pull no, no, the no. same tail as Ortega. Oh, are you kidding? Not even 1% of 1%. But here's – it's a small little story. This is true. You know, when I had a shaved head for all the time I was in the military and blah, 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 and then I got out and I grew my hair out, 
I will never forget this, BC. I was walking down the street one time, and someone stopped me and asked me what the time was. And in all my time where I had a shaved head and blah, 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 no one ever did that. I was almost taken aback by it. Like, you just seem more approachable. I'll say this. Did you open your trench coat and you had a a long line of (laughs) wristwatches in there or what, Luke? Uh, I'll say this, BC. Brian Ortega with a shaved head doesn't do himself the justice that he does when he's got those Aquaman, Jason Momoa locks. On the other hand, the shaved head version, you know, a little bit like uh, F you to the world kind of a thing. I told you so kind of a thing. A little bit angry chip on your shoulder kind of thing. I might like that one better as a fighter, BC. Just, just was, my personal opinion. I was trying to talk about his own poontang. You're talking about him. That's fine. But uh, I'm sure he watched Bullworth afterwards. Shout out to Brian Ortega. Let's move on, Luke. Okay. All right. Very good. So let's get to the other big main event over the weekend. I, I, I'm not in a position, BC, to say I told you so because in the end, I was too chicken shit to make the call. But Teofimo Lopez defeats defeats Vasily Lomachenko. Can you believe it? Now, the scores were some shit. I think it was 116 to 112, which is okay. It's fine. Uh, 117 to 111, which is starting to get a little bit out there. And then it was 119 to 109, which is an absolutely dreadful card. Totally indefensible. But I think what what you would say, BC, is, and I would like to talk about the scores to start here for just a second, the right guy won. And, and I want to make one quick point, if I may, BC, because I know you did an instant reaction vid. It was so good. I couldn't help but watch it myself. Here's what stood out to me, and I don't like making MMA comparisons when I'm talking to a direct boxing audience, but I know a lot of folks reached out to you, BC. They reached out to me. They, reached, they, they said something on social media. We kind of arm-twisted the audience into watching a boxing match that maybe they weren't going to. I think a lot of them enjoyed it by the end. I want to make a point here. I had it 6-5 to five personally in favor of Lopez heading into the 12th, meaning it was either going to be a tie if Lomachenko won or maybe he got a knockdown. He was doing really well rounds 8 through 11, depending on how you scored it. But that was a very it – was, it was either going to be a draw or potentially a winnable fight seemingly based on the momentum for Lomachenko. And then in the 12th round, Teofimo Lopez bit down and decided, I am not going to let this one slip away charging back, won the 12th with his highest output. Maybe that was his best one. Even got hit in the head with a headbutt that cut him open late in the round still. Didn't get distracted. It was as if Dominic Reyes was fighting John Jones and instead of just you know barely hanging on in the fifth, putting it on John in the fifth better than he had in the first three rounds. No doubt about it. Seven to five on my scorecard. Shocking the world, but really, BC, as impressive as it was, we warned everybody, you should not be too, too shocked. Teofimo Lopez, the real deal holy well, There's a difference, though. There's a difference here. We warned that despite the lack of experience and despite how great Lomachenko really is, and oh, by the way, dude, we are overwhelmed because this is boxing. It's a shit show at times. We're overwhelmed by the people now saying Lomachenko was never that great, blah, blah, blah. Can you guys, you know, can you guys sit on a cactus about that? <laughs> uh, the reason why this fight went this way is because Lopez is great. I mean, he's great. But to the, your point here, Luke, uh, I wanted to predict Lopez by knockout. You almost bit on a Lopez prediction. We knew that there's there's a chance he's that good. I thought his intangibles, meaning what's inside, his belief in himself, all that stuff, I really was touched by that and really wanted to pick him. I couldn't in the end. But with all that said, 
I really think any of us who believed in his ability to compete in this fight really believed because of his power, really believed that there was a chance he could knock out the smaller man. I don't think anybody, even people in the Lopez family, would have guessed that Teofimo at 23, with, again, that little of pro experience in general, but that little of pro experience against anybody within miles of ability of Lomachenko, could outbox the best boxer today. This is the, the, the headline story. If you're a hardcore boxing fan, he went in there and disarmed the magician and forced this guy to really back himself into a horrible game plan. And I do think we need to throw shade at Team Lomachenko. Yeah, they waited too long. But Luke, to the point of what Teofimo did, I think Lomachenko was like, okay, he looks good early, but I'm going to wait for him. He's going to screw up or he's going to tire. None of that happened. None of that happened at all. Look, I think the bottom line is Lomachenko had no idea Lopez was going to be that quick or that sharp, and it was shocking to him. And that's when this fight became more about Lomachenko not being a finisher and a big puncher because he's fighting over his head at this weight class, and how is he going to figure a way back into the fight? But credit to him, Luke. He almost did. Now, look, I scored it 8-4, to 116-112. I know in the incident analysis video, I, my score, I, I said I would score to 117. I was delirious, and it was late at night. I did eight rounds to four. Okay. I thought Lomachenko rallied, and, you know, if you had it 7-5, I'm okay with it. I mean, I didn't like Andre Ward's draw scorecard just as much as I didn't like the 119-109 from Julie Letterman. But, again, when, when you have these rounds where there isn't a lot that happens in them, it's only three minutes. You really could go either way in a lot of these. So I don't get too crazy. In the end, like you said, the right guy won, which is great. We didn't get a typical boxing moment of Golovkin Alvar Alvarez won where you're like, oh my God, I just watched Canelo lose and then he gets the bailout draw to force the rematch. We didn't get any of that. We got a star being born, Luke, and he did it in a way that we can sit here today and completely praise him because this is something that Lomach I'm sorry, Lopez Sr. said after the fight, and I echoed it in the instant analysis, Luke. If they had knocked out Lomachenko and blown him away in the first two rounds, they would have got the praise. But that praise would have been muted to a certain degree. We would have been talking about the size difference, and we still wouldn't know how great Lopez is, right? We still wouldn't know what that right. fight would have looked like if it went deep. Instead, we got the full package of how great this kid is from poise to technique, defense. How good was his defense, his game planning, all that stuff? Uh, look, th this is what you want in boxing. Every once in a while, somebody who looks like the next big thing actually go out there and show you that they are. It's a great night for the sport, and I was very happy for all those MMA diehards that we, that we looped them in, Luke. A good amount of them were like, you know what? This was great. This was skill at the highest level. It was dramatic. I'm going to come back again. Yep, some people said it's too boring for them, and it's fine. It's Same fine. equivalent if you try to show a boxing fan a big-time MMA fight, and they go, I don't need that grappling. I don't need grown men and panties rolling around. I get it. I get it, okay? But uh, this was a great night for the sport, Luke, and the right guy won. Holy crap, this kid's legit. I'm sitting here, you know, as great as I thought he was, he was even better, and that's great to see. You know, it's amazing. We made this point on Friday, but we couldn't really, I couldn't really lean into it because he hadn't done the work yet. Now that he's done the work, I'd like to revisit this point because I do think it's worth making. And if you're a real fight fan, you have made this mistake before. I'm a fight fan. I consider myself a fight fan. Hello, I have made this mistake before. Sometimes somebody comes around with a big mouth and you love them. Sometimes somebody comes around with a big mouth and you can't stand them to the point where you are unable 
to see them for who they really are, or their fans will be really awful and you can't stand their fans, same problem ends up emerging. You can't see them for who they really are. I'm not going to compare Lopez to McGregor. I don't think there's a one-to-one. We talked about this before. It seems like, you know, uh, uh, it's a little bit of a bridge too far to say that that Teofimo Lopez is boxing's Conor McGregor. I don't, I don't think that's quite right. But, but... Him and his father have been saying for a long time that they had Lomachenko's number. And when Lomachenko was just blazing through everybody, it seemed really hard to accept that. He hadn't done anything nearly as impressive. Yeah, he had big power, but he had just as big of a mouth. You know, he would do the Fortnite dance and put on the LSU jersey on Heisman night and do that you know, patented backflip that he does and everything else. And it just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, including Lomachenko, who, as I mentioned, thought that Comey was going to beat him and beat him pretty handily. Lots of others as well. There is something that happens in fight sports that will not let great fighters be seen as great at first when they have a big mouth. But then they go through something where you just can't take it away from them anymore. Adesanya rolls through Whitaker. And then in this particular case, yeah, they had the bad fight against Romero, but then rolled through, um, obviously, Costa. You have a case where McGregor just bludgeons Jose Aldo, 13 seconds, but then he goes up and does what he does to Eddie Alvarez, becomes the first time uh, a UFC fighter's ever held two belts at the same time. And then Lopez goes up and unifies 135 pounds, which for folks in MMA who may not realize, it's one of boxing's deepest divisions, okay? Super, super deep. Their, their version of lightweight, 135 pounds. And he goes out there and outboxes a dude who comes out to the Matrix talk who had you know Olympic gold medals, 300-plus amateur fights, who every MMA fighter I've ever talked to says Lomachenko is their favorite fighter, the whole nine yards, and he beat him. And he beat him, I'm not going to say without any controversy, but pretty much no controversy. Now I think people are finally going to realize that you can't let the brash talk distract you from what the tape shows. That dude, Teofimo Lopez, is uber, uber talented. Don't you ever lose sight of that fact. I want to counter you for, to a slight degree, and I, I, I do think the spirit of what you're saying is correct, and there are instances where uh, it's easy to always you know, downvote the, the, the loud, brash guy and say, come on, you know, prove it to me first. Um, I was on ESPN Radio uh, on the national show on Saturday previewing this fight with Bart Scott, the uh, the ex-NFL player. And Bart's a big Lomachenko guy. And we kind of got into an argument on the air in which I'm like, no, you got to understand the kid is for real. He's going to have a chance to be in this fight. He's going to have a chance to score the knockout. And Bart just kept arguing me going, look, you know, I've been ringside. I've been to all these Lomachenko fights. You're telling me this, this kid with no experience is going to come in there and box with him? Like, hell no. You're telling me he's going to be able to time him and figure him out? Hell no. And I don't think it's ignorance. I think it's just this, that like... Lopez had 15 pro fights, Luke. And on top of that, all of the fights that really mattered, the Richard Comey fight, the step up against Diego Magdaleno, for example, both of those were early knockouts. We never actually got to see if he really could box, if he could figure things out. We only have that unanimous decision he scored over Nakatani in which he looked flat the whole night. We talked about it. He had a lot of family drama beforehand. He did sort of figure out with his jab how to box and take the lead and win that fight, but he looked bad. We don't have footage of him outboxing people. We only had footage of him spectacularly blowing people away. There's no way, even for the hardcore fan, even for the fan who put on the goggles, took the eye test and said, this kid could be great to have the confidence level that he could have done exactly what he did on Saturday. I think you and I had enough confidence that he's in the game, that it wasn't a mistake to match him in this fight. 
but even beyond a puncher's chance. I mean, Luke, in the back of your mind, could you have seen this coming? I couldn't. I couldn't have seen him completely disarming Lomachenko unless he'd knocked him down early and landed something. He did it with the skills, man. That that was wild. If you had asked, if you had told me, okay, that you could predict the future and you would tell me that Lopez is going to win and then you asked me, how do you think he's going to win? The way in which he did would not have been the first, maybe even the second way I would have picked. But in the end, am I super surprised by it all? I'm amazed by it. I'm not going to tell you I'm super surprised, BC. I understand the point that you're making where you begin to think about, like, if, if the Lopez doubt had started at the Lomachenko fight, where they said, I'm going to make a rational case for Lomachenko for the reasons that you mentioned, both in terms of Lopez and Lomachenko, I don't know that I would have minded it. The problem that I'm identifying is pervasive skepticism and understanding, at least the seeming understanding about what he's capable of. But then when it came time to really sort of say what you thought he was going to do to consistently get that wrong, I'm not saying about you. I'm just saying throughout the boxing world, I went back and I I told you, I looked through it. It's not just the Comey fight. I saw it over and over and over again. There is something about somebody arrogantly declaring to the world what they're going to do that makes the rest of the world, at least parts of the rest of the world, say, no chance, never going to happen. And they hang on to it despite all the evidence to the contrary. BC, I told you I would watch this guy. I said this on Friday in these exact words. He jumped off the screen at me. He did not move like other boxers. Again, was he going to outbox or shut Lomachenko down for basically the first seven rounds? Okay, maybe I didn't see that coming. But beating him by basically being the better guy of the two... I don't yes. think that that should be necessarily massively surprising as amazing as it was. To your point, though, uh, Muhammad Ali was the betting underdog going into the Sonny Liston rematch. So I think seven, your, your seven, or eight, the, so seven or eight to one in that one. Yeah, going into the rematch in which he stopped him in the first fight. I know it was weird, you know, quit on a duel with a bad shoulder. But, uh, yeah, wild. Uh, we're believers now, Luke. And now I think you have to spin off and talk about what's next. And, look, um... I got to make a statement about boxing and I don't mean to, you know, piss on the fire and ruin, you know, whatever here, but, uh, because good things are happening in boxing right now. I mean, the Wilder Fury fights, for example, in which rival promoters, rival networks are coming together to make a bit. I mean, that's great news. We are seeing people work together more often than not, but coming off of this win in which Lopez is now undisputed champion. And I know I'm when people hit me up left and right. BC, he's not the real undisputed champion because of the WBC franchise. Dude, I know that better than anybody, okay? But it's bullshit. So at some time, at some point, you gotta kinda decide what you're gonna recognize and what you care about. He's kind of the undisputed champion, but he isn't. But a lot of people are going, okay, now I gotta see him against Devin Haney. Oh no, I gotta see him against Ryan Garcia. You're not going to see that. You're not going to see it right now. I'm All sorry, right. that's how boxing works. It is what it is, Luke, okay? If All it's right, big on. enough. You're stepping on you're stepping on the fourth topic, so let's just get her into it. I'll pitch it right back to you. Topic number four here, this is the central question. You had Ryan Garcia coming out saying, I want to fight him in 2021. You had uh, Lopez himself at the post-fight presser calling out Devin Haney, saying it was sad he was fighting a washed Gamboa. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned Ryan Garcia, but he also took shots at uh, Gervonta Davis as well. So, BC, set this up for us. Is it going to be a rematch? Is it going to be Haney? Is it going to be Gervonta if he beats Santa Cruz? Who Ryan Garcia? Who the hell is this guy fighting next? Uh, so what I was saying was, you know, a lot of people are going to want him now to see him against the very best lightweights. Go and get Haney's secondary WBC title. I don't see any of it happening because when promoters get together and sort of share fighters or do combined deals, 
They do it at the highest level. Mayweather Pacquiao. Mike Tyson, Lennox Lewis was an HBO Showtime co-pay-per-view like Mayweather Pacquiao. Now Fury Wilder. I don't see it happening on the in-between fights unless, you know, because, because look, their fighters are so tied to networks these days. It's hard for me to sit there and believe that a network executive is going to be like, yeah, sure, fine, go, go across the street, go put the fight on the other person's network. It's just not going to happen. What is most realistic for both fighters, Luke, unless Lopez wants to move up to 140 right now, and I don't really see that happening right now because of what we talked about. Jose Ramirez and Josh uh, Josh Taylor are going to have a fight for all four belts, okay? That's been a long time building. They're going to have their big fight. The biggest money fight for Lomachenko and Lopez is each other once again. So, Luke, after, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours of thinking about this, not only do I think it's most likely, even though there wasn't a rematch clause, which is very surprising for this day and age in boxing for the big name star not to have that, I do think that's where they go. They're both on ESPN. They're both promoted by Top Rank. This fight, putting it on regular ESPN, got a lot of crossover interest. And oh, by the way, here's the most important part why I think it's next, Luke. And you can tell me if I'm wrong. Lomachenko did figure him out in the second half. We are rightfully saying some bad things about Lomachenko. Bad strategy, late adjustment. Uh, the, the, The size factor got exposed against a guy who is as elite as he is in certain categories. But... You go back and watch round seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, the first half of round twelve. You may have scored a couple of those for Lopez, but Lomachenko was the guy coming on, finding the angles, landing the power shots. Luke, I think there is a scintillating way to sell this rematch, which is what if Loma starts early? It may end up ending the same way. Do you remember that great, great? Chocolatito fight against Srisaget Sorungvisai on the Triple G Danny yes. Jacobs uh, pay-per-view undercard in 2017. Absolute war, right? Chocolatito was number one pound for pound. He hung on for a disputed decision. It was a bloodbath, one of the best fights I was ever ringside for at MSG. They did the rematch. So Rung Vasai sent him to hell. We may see that. We may go out that way. But I got to see it, Luke. I got to see it because Lomachenko ran out of the ring, didn't do an interview. He gave a very short one backstage. And all he said was, I w- you know, I figured him out. I was coming on. The judges got it wrong. Yeah, sour grapes to a certain degree. But do you believe that Loma figured out enough where, yeah, he's always going to have to beware of the power, but you don't know what the rematch would look like. I think that's why you're going to see it next. Do I think that there's enough reason to believe a rematch could be different in either direction or even if Lopez wins, certainly the fight takes on a different complexion? Yes. Is there a reason to do a rematch because of that? I guess that depends on your appetite given what else is available. If we're talking about what should be next for Teofimo Lopez, uh, Teofimo Lopez, the idea that like we have to see a rematch, I don't buy. The idea that a rematch could be good enough to make and that's better than any other fight that could be next for Lopez. So why not just do the Lomachenko fight? Fine, make that case. But the idea that like he was figuring him out, well, if he figured him out, then what happened to the 12th round where he got munished? I mean, that's just not really true. I mean, if it, that was easily the best round that anybody won in either direction, and that was commanded by Lopez. So to me, it's like he figured him out to an extent. I think that's true, right? He was having his way around 8 to 11, and it looked like Lopez was maybe maybe getting tired, maybe not understanding some of the things in terms of the volume and the angles and the setups that that was going his way. So could that be built upon for the next one? Yes. 
but hello, Lopez is going to make adjustments the next time too. And to the extent, honestly, you have to admit this, to the extent that either of them open up, or I should say, to the extent that the fight opens up, I'm going to say that that favors somebody who's the bigger puncher like Lopez. I mean, one of the reasons why it took so long for Lomachenko to get going was partly maybe he misjudged it. The other one was he was eating heavy body shots, and he knew that if he opened up, he could get killed. He didn't want to. That's something that's going to be there the very next fight, maybe in just as much, if not worse, the second time around. So I can understand being a Lomachenko fan or just a rational observer and saying there's a case to be made for Lomachenko winning the rematch. The idea that it's overwhelming or that this one is as disputed as the Chocolatito fight you're referencing, I don't think that is true. By the way, I do think if they ran it back, if we're using Lomachenko in the Chocolatito role, I think Lopez would have a good chance of knocking him out because if you're Lomachenko, you're going to have to figure out a way to be more offensive. And as we talked about, the more offensive he is, the more he enters the line of fire. But again, you want to give the genius a chance to go back to the computer, figure out the second time. Well, I think it's high theater. I wouldn't be pushing for it right now as a fan, right? If there were other big options, I just don't know why Golden Boy or DAZN would be like, yeah, here, you can have Ryan Garcia. Go ahead, put him on ESPN. No, it's not going to happen, right? You know, Eddie Hearn's not going to say, sure, Devin Haney, go walk over there. I mean, maybe if DAZN exploded tomorrow, that could happen. But uh, All right, two names. I want to live in a world. Look, I want to live in a world where Teo can fight the winner of Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz. I, I, I want to get there, okay? Can, All right. Can you two, create two that names. world for me, two names for, two names. Two names for you. If Gervonta wins, why or why not is that a, a possibility? And here's the other one that I saw referenced. He's got a fight coming up, and he's got some work to do, but let's say he wins it. Why not Gervonta if he wins? Why not Bud Crawford if he wins up at a weight class for Teofimo Ooh, Lopez? Now we are talking a little bit of bingo, and I can insert one more name in there for you. Are you ready? How about Manny Pacquiao, who's kind of a promotional Ooh. free agent at the moment, right? How about Manny Pacquiao in a 140-pound crossroad showdown, rising star against Guy, who still has it, as we saw in the Keith Thurman fight. Um. I think what would the best chance of one of these cross fights happening might actually end up being if Gervonta Davis beats Leo Santa Cruz. Gervonta has a really big following, as we know. He's going to be coming off his first pay-per-view. That might be one of those where, like Wilder Fury, the powers that be could say, hey, maybe we could do a two-network thing. Maybe we could figure this out. Uh, Luke, I do really need to see, though, we saw Wilder Fury. I do need to see Bud Crawford fight a PBC welterweight to make me really believe, though, that the streets are opening up, right? Crawford Spence should have already happened, to, you know, to my taste up to this point. Hopefully we're getting there. If, if we end up building, though, toward, hey, Terrence Crawford does not have elite welterweights on his side of the road. He's beaten up on the old Amir Khans. Now he's going to fight old Kell Brook. It is what it is, right? Uh, he's fighting Cavaluskis because there's nobody else. It is what it is. If, if Teo's the long game here, and by long game I mean a year, year and a half to get to him, it doesn't have to be a long game. Luke, we've seen people. We've seen the great Shane Mosley go from lightweight right to welterweight and beat Oscar De La Hoya. It's not impossible when, when you have the skills of Teo. Maybe, maybe, you got, maybe you're onto something. Maybe if you're Team Teo, too, without the rematch clause, maybe you say, I don't want to roll the dice. We just beat Lomachenko. What else do we have to prove? Let's go up. Man, there's a lot, of, a lot of business that could be had there if Teo is ready to go to 140 and above. Fair enough. All right, that takes us to our final topic of the top five here on Monday's show. Namely, we only talked about two fights so far. It's a limited show. We got to do what we got to do. We want to talk about the most important things. But there are some people that deserve shout outs. There are some other standouts from the weekend, BC. 
How about Jessica Andrade? She did just absolutely phenomenal against Caitlin Chukagian. What do you make of her? Why does she deserve some praise here on this Monday uh, morning afternoon show? Yeah, she's one of the big MVPs of this weekend. Um, becoming the first UFC female. Sorry, I got I got issues here. At least I got a lot of issues here. I'm working them out though. All right, what becoming a- the first UFC female to uh, to win a fight in three different divisions. This was impressive. We already know that previously, when bantamweight was the only division, that she was a player. She had some wins. She had some losses. She was good. But to go down to strawweight, completely build herself up into a world champion, and now to move up where the path toward a title shot is like that compared to women's strawweight, right? The elite division, it's like that. To go in there being eight inches shorter than an elite fighter in Caitlin Chukagian and to send her to hell via vicious body shots and throw in a couple slams, uh, this was eye-opening. And why it was most eye-opening, Luke, is that even though I'd been minimally excited of late for this dead, empty division, women's 125, that there's nobody, and I mean nobody, who could give Valentina Shevchenko even, you know, something to, to blink at, that we'd had a few names that were starting to distinguish them themselves. But in reality, Luke, could any of those names get you excited? No, you're not fired up to see Jennifer Maya against it. No, you're not fired up to see anybody. I'd be fired up to see Jessica Andrade go in there against Valentina. You wouldn't favor her. You'd give her that puncher's chance, though. Uh... The thing about Andrade is she's, she can elevate herself to the elite level because of her power and her strength. And that strength seems to not know any boundaries or limits when it comes to weight. I am just so excited that in a division in which you have one of the best fighters of all time, and that is true about Valentina, one of the best fighters of all time as your champion, now you've got a legitimate challenger. I don't think you F around. I think you send her right to the title shot. She'll get the winner of uh, Maya Shevchenko. And I think we got a little business here, Luke. I mean, I don't think the height matters. She's got tree trunk thighs, and I say that in a respectful way about a, a great female fighter. She's strong as an ox. She's long-suffering. We saw that against both Rose in the rematch and in the Yuana uh, fight. She'll, she'll take a beat and keep coming and linger. Luke, she, just, she, she did well. This, this is big news for that division. Yeah, she pound for pound might be the strongest fighter in the UFC. I don't think that's necessarily crazy to say. The things she can do and the way she can weaponize her strength. You saw it in the fight on Saturday, picking Chukagian up like a child uh, to get the takedown that she wanted. And you indicated something that I thought was kind of interesting, that she had the wins in 115, now 125, and then obviously um, 135 previously. But to me, the thing that really stands out is when you look at her game and you look at some of the successes that she's had and some of the challenges, there were times where she leaned on those physical tools a little too much to get the job done. And they're so formidable against lesser competition that they will. But then, you know, she would go up against somebody who was just a little bit better, who could find ways to handle that strength, maybe not match it, but, you know, diffuse it, handle it, deal with it. And she would have problems, whether it was Joanna sticking the jab in her face and, and sticking and moving right because if all you've done is developed a big punch and use your big power, that's only going to get you so far. Or someone like um, uh, the current uh, bantamweight champ, uh, Zhang Wiley, who you know just sort of met power for power in a short window, um, not so much wrestling, but striking, and, and uh, overcame it. Now what you've seen is somebody who is, look, she still uses her strength, and sometimes it deserves to be said, uses it to fill in the gaps in her technical know-how. But those gaps have significantly narrowed. 
She has worked on her head movement. She has worked on her striking. She has worked on her shot selection. She has worked on, you know, how do I want to win this fight from a strategy standpoint? What skills do I have to bring that to life? What are, how do I connect all those dots? You can tell she's beginning to really think through the problems. And so it's good to have the strength that she does or the power that she does as a backup. Pull that card when you need it. The less the better, but if you need it, hey, rely on it. It's okay, right? But if you've got all those other things in front of it, you can do a lot with it. And now the marriage of the two in this particular fight I thought was, was pretty incredible. So I love that she is now ostensibly your number one contender you know, after Shevchenko's next fight. I think Shevchenko versus Andrade is a hell of a contest for all the reasons I just mentioned. Plus now Andrade has all this experience, right weight class, much more developed than she ever was, still strong as shit. And uh, has seen a lot of different competitive looks across three divisions. A lot of different body types, a lot of different skill sets. I still like Shevchenko because you're right. I think she's one of the best fighters UFC has today and certainly maybe ever. But that is so much more interesting than what we thought was possible when Shevchenko was fighting Jessica I. Yeah, can we shout out Andrade's new look with a the, with the high tight fade? Very well hell done. Of a, hell to, of a fade there. That's a better like haircut than you and I have ever had. I'd pay a hundred bucks for that fade. I wouldn't for yours, Luke. But that's you know, it's fantastic. Yeah, well, you know, you're also cheap, and uh, uh, you know, deserves to be said. Uh, okay, BC, we have gotten to our top five. Now it is time to get to where the viewers get a chance to ask us some questions. It is time for DMs from dogs. Hey, Jay got the animation right. I thought he was going to put up dead wrong. That being the kind of day that it is. Uh, all right, BC. Yeah, hold on. Can we just bring in Jay real quick to, to troll the fans? Jay, that was a brutal, brutal showing out of you after we praised you there with all the, the – the, I mean, I was having a seizure from seeing all those things jump up. Yeah, no, the timing could not have been worse for that. Um, yeah, that's uh, on me. That's me. This is, Luke, this is like bringing in a referee after he screws up and trying to, you know, and stick a microphone in front of his face, right? Good, yeah, good but job. see, I said that's on me. You know, referees will be like, no, no, no we got it right. Hey, uh, Jay, I did see in a comment, uh, because I don't know if you noticed, but we are, we're climbing, and we have 60-something thousand subscribers. They said if we can get to 100K, they want to see Uriah Hall uh, give you retribution, redemption, and send you to hell with a spinning back kick. Uh, that would hurt, because uh, that guy kicks good. I- I'd need a couple months to get in shape for that, but, um, you know, we could run it back. All right. Luke, you believe nothing of their sparring session. You believe you believe no, no facts coming out of Jay on that. I know that. No, no, completely fake news. All right, so All let's right. go to our first question here from at R. Dylan Carey. BC, is Brian Ortega stylistically the worst matchup for Habib after showing his new level of striking? What do you think? Now think about that before you answer. Let, let me let me give, let me uh, one up the ante here. I had. Ortega on my show about a year after he fought Holloway. He was looking for a fight, right? So he was, uh, yes, he had lost to Holloway, but he was, you know, training again and uh, over the surgery on his hand and blah, blah, blah. And um, I think it was, you know, what, you know what it was? I can't remember exactly, but he was on my show and he was making the case that he was the worst fight for Habib. He was like, I'm just going to play guard and I dare you. I dare you, Habib. To get into my guard, watch what happens. You are not going to. It's like an the interesting result. thought, Lou. What do you think? But I, I still think he gets swallow up in wrestling on there. I mean, I'd love to see it. He's going to have to, you know, go up a weight class, which might diminish him. Look, I've always said this, Luke, and this is, you know, a little teaser toward our preview for Saturday's fight, where you know, I always said there's one guy 
There's one elite guy that can beat Happy outside of Connor, you know, putting his head on and landing one lucky punch. There's one guy, and it's Tony Ferguson. It's the only guy to beat Habib. Now I think that one guy might be Justin Gagey. So uh, I like the idea, but no, I still think it ends badly. I'll just say this. I think it's a very interesting idea. It is amazing that we are nearly 30 fights into the career of Nurmagomedov. He is undefeated. And a lot of these fights tend to go a little bit long. Like he doesn't get a lot of first round subs or KOs. And we still don't really understand the totality of his game. Like against Gaethje, is he going to be able to take him down? Probably, you know, but how often and what can he do while he's down there? We don't really know. What happens if he can't take him down? How far can his striking carry him? Like we don't really know the answer to that, number one. Number two, it's like, okay, what if someone just gave up position and said, take me down? And then they went to guard. What would happen there? Like would he pass? And if he passed, would he like get into trouble? Like because the pass was a setup for – Something else, like what happens if Khabib gets his back taken? Like we've just never seen any number of these other scenarios to really know. So I'll say this. I think, you know, evidence being what it is, it's not crazy to think Khabib can handle some of these situations. But I got to tell you, I'm a little bit more willing to give the underdog here a chance than maybe some other folks. Luke, how would you have liked Max Holloway's chances at 223 the same week of the the bus incident with Canelo? I mean, Canelo, good God, Conor McGregor. uh, And it turned out, obviously, to be Ally Quinta. Would you have liked Holloway's chances at all in that last-minute situation uh, to, to, you know, not win maybe, but to to give Habib a different look that he's never seen? I think uh, I like them more than others may have. I think Max Holloway has extraordinarily good takedown defense. You saw... Volkanovsky late in the fight, I think get one or two, and he couldn't do too much with him. And you think, well, Volkanovsky's small, right, but he's very powerful. He has very good takedowns. I'm not saying they're on par with Habib's, but you know, he he's gonna Habib is gonna take down folks who can't get taken down, and so is Volkanovsky. I think they can both be considered two of those guys. So I'll say I'd probably still favor Habib to win, but I think I think Volkanovsky, excuse me, I think Holloway would have outperformed the skeptics. I'll put it that way. I, uh, look, all right. I, I'm going to have to see Habib get out of the McKenzie team before I, you know, before I give him the nod over anybody. All right. Please. Yeah, no, but no one BC gets out of the McKenzie team. <laughs> nobody, uh, nobody uh, all right. At DB underscore Scott underscore outlaw. Why am I okay with the immediate championship rematches in boxing, but in MMA, they piss me off. Uh, Scott, maybe you have issues. Maybe in boxing sometimes. <laughs> The immediate championship rematch is the uh, is the best and only big fight you can make in certain circumstances. Uh, and in I don't know, I don't know, Luke. I mean, what, what do I look like, Scott's psychiatrist here? I don't know. Uh, all right. From I don't have much to add. I mean, well, look, maybe maybe because we see more shitty decisions in boxing, which make us want to see them run it back to kind of fix yeah. them, right? That's uh, that's that's as good an answer as I think you're going to find. All right, all right. All right. From at Randy. Villarama, how do you think a pretty a prime pretty boy Mayweather would have done against both Lopez or Lomachenko at lightweight? Wow, wow. Uh, well, let's let's talk about it here, okay? Uh, pretty boy Floyd, which was the Floyd at basically you know one forty and below before he became Floyd Money Mayweather at welterweight, uh, was way more offensive than people realize. Look, it was before the hand issues. It was before he was moving up and losing some of the size advantages. You do have to remember that Mayweather, even at welterweight, has like a freakishly long reach. People forget this. Um, 
I love his chances against both, Luke. I really do. I mean, look, those are both great myth matchup Monday mythical fights. Uh, I think he's going to be too big for Lomachenko. And while I think Lomachenko is going to give him uh, certainly some of the best looks from a chess match that anybody else could, Lomachenko at 135, again, is is a little physically over his head. Doesn't mean he can't win great fights. Doesn't mean he can't continue to campaign there and win. It just means if you find somebody who's your relative equal from the standpoint of speed, IQ, reaction time, counterpunching, all that, that's when the size becomes an issue. Floyd had power at lightweight. Floyd, you know, Floyd would would would, would put people down. I mean, so I like him there, and and I like him obviously against Lopez as well. Fair enough. I don't have much to add. Uh, I, I don't have enough of a, a knowledge base to answer that one adequately. So, BC, the most important question I could possibly ask you comes to us from at Emilio Bruce underscore. Question for BC. What's your educated opinion on Brian Ortega's cup? Let me just say something about Brian Ortega's cup. Ah, that, fuck, ah, that fucking ah. thing. He was in ah, one ah. area code, as zip code rather, and his cup was in another. I'd never seen a cup where, you know, he went tip to tip. <laughs> With with a poor Korean zombie, and they were standing on opposite sides of the octagon. How is that possible, BC? Yeah, is that a large cup, or is he just happy to be there? It might be both, Luke. That thing was sticking like through my screen. I thought I was the only one that mentioned it. I didn't have the balls to tweet about his balls, but uh, wow, I could not Luke, stop uh, looking that's, at it. <laughs> either that man is uh, maybe there's a reason that man had a great two years, if you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying? Maybe we saw that reason on Saturday. I don't really want to invest. So you know, it was in, funny. It, I, I went back and I watched the uh, Holloway fight. I was like, did he have a big ass cup? In that one, too, and he did. It's a little less noticeable, in part, because he was getting tuned up, uh, like, in the face, right? With the punch, like, all of Max's punches, like, 85% went to his face. So you're just kind of focused there. And he also had, like, the board shorts, which don't sell it as much. This time, you know, the fight was kind of slow, and he was moving around, and he had the old tight, uh, you know, biker shorts on. Oh, my God, that thing, you know, just swing that. But I mean, I was surprised there weren't more eye pokes with that thing. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's move on here. Thank you very much. All right. All right. And then last but not least from at Jonathan, uh, to Darian, to Darian, to Darian, who gets sent to hell more BC during interviews or Luke versus his <laughs> audio. It's a great question. It's a great question. Luke. I, that's, right. the, that's the Lopez versus Lomachenko of, uh, questions here for setups. Wow. Yeah, that was on brand for you to completely F up your live chat. Uh, I should have came in. I should have parachuted in on my day off and uh, saved the day for you there, Luke. But uh, no. Yeah. You know what? I'd say more recently, you get sent to hell. Historically over, during your interviews, that is. Historically over the course of my YouTube career, I would say I definitely have had uh, more as being sent to hell issues with my audio for sure. Yeah. And I, I didn't really get sent to hell a lot in previous interviews. I, well, I had Adrian Broner hang up on me in 2013, but that it was, it was not regular last year and a half. They're coming for me, Luke. Okay. What Maybe happened with I'm Adrian for them? What happened with Adrian Broner? Oh, it was 2013. I was early in my interview game. It was on a podcast. I think I, I asked too early the kind of challenging questions that we all want to ask about being a Floyd clone and stuff like that. And he checked out after answer two. And then uh, he started just basically saying nonsense. And they just hung up. So, I mean, look, we've all been there, Luke. Okay. Well, you can get it, as he is so fond of telling the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, 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 well, yeah. The can man, indeed, yes. All right, BC. Mexicans, it's, uh, Armina, Armina cans can Armina get it. Armina cans, okay. Kinetic cans, they, they can, can get it. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, BC. It's time where we get silly. Take over, please. Well, it doesn't have to be silly, Luke. We could see some violence here. This is what we do. We, uh, yeah, we scour the globe for the highs and lows, the good, the bad, and in between. In combat sports and beyond, Luke, it's the best segment in all of digital video. It's called Have You Seen the Shit? Luke, have you seen the light heavyweight from UFC over the weekend? Jimmy Crew, maybe more like Jimmy Brute, sending my Lithuanian bro hand Bukowskis wow. to the deep, dark depths. I don't think we have it on video here, but did you like him jumping over the fence and getting the uh, the high, well? Look at the little we look at the weekend at Bernie's action he's doing right here. But did you like him jumping over the fence and giving Dana the high five, Luke? I don't, I'm not much of a. I, I don't. It doesn't move me one way or the other. The fence jumping scenario, like I don't, I don't care about it either positively or negatively. I'll say if you knock a guy out, I feel like this is the routine, and like you know, this is not a thing I can brag about because hello, you know, I've never done it, but. I feel like you knock the guy out like that. The trick is go celebrate and then come back and check on it. When they do that thing where like he immediately tries to pick him up and carry him like a baby for bedtime, like right this, I feel like it's a little too much. Yeah, don't do that. Get away from him. Let, let the man take the L on his own. I agree with you on that. Well, what we found out in the aftermath of this great knockout, if we didn't already know, was that Jimmy Crute lives in a van down by the river, Luke, and he confirmed it after Brett Okamoto put it out on Twitter. That he, uh, that he lives in a van outside the gym parking lot. And Jimmy said it takes away all the distractions of going home because he lives two hours from training camp. It lets him focus 100% in training and recovery, Luke. Wow. Mm. He's got a pull-out couch in there, I guess. Well, you know what? I'll say this. He's tough as shit. Uh, he's like a super in-shape Chris Farley then. And I'll also say, like, legitimately in his favor, dude has – he's legit, like – these guys coming out of New Zealand and Australia, whether it's city kickboxing or not, they're producing some serious talent down there. And uh, he is looking like the real deal for the next, you know, I won't say number one contender, but he's moving his way up the, the food chain there, BC, pretty rapidly. All right. Well, also from Saturday in Fight Island, let's just uh, relive how great this spinning back elbow was wow. that Ortega hit Zombie with. Luke, that was even for a – it's a sneaky strike. It's spinny shit. But he made it extra sneaky. That was tight right there. That was like 2013 Vitor Belfort tight, right? Yeah. Wait till I show you something from the tape that I picked up um, and looking at this. And everyone was like showing like, oh, he, he drilled this in the locker room. Isn't that interesting? Do y'all think he just – like what is the alternative? To just invent some shit on the fly? <laughs> like, of course he drilled it in the locker room. That's how you learn to throw shit. You practice it incessantly. Like, I don't, you know, it's cool to see the symmetry I get, but I don't quite understand the novelty of it. That was tight as shit, though. That was like, uh, no, it's know, amazing. Prom level. I mean, he that killed was great. it. He killed it. All right, let's. We mentioned this on Friday's show. Now we have video from Bellator 249, Kerman Lachinov. I don't know if I pronounced that correct, but he did a great Ricardo Mayorgo with this, Luke. Yeah. Look at this zombie routine. And oh, he was wow. yelling, that's all you got? I mean, this is just dirtbag caveman bullshit, and I love it. I love yeah. it. You know what? That's like there's nothing you can say if I'm like, that's super refined. It's a cerebral way to fight. That's just <laughs> he-man you know, uh, grew over the top nonsense that I am here for 100% of the way. And he won the fight, by the way. Well, it's very shades of 2004 middleweight fight, uh, Madison Square Garden, Ricardo Mayorga and Tito Trinidad, one of the best 
electric crowds that we've seen in boxing in recent memory. And look at Moyarga just saying, right here, right here, one more time. Yes, Ooh. yes. I love that ish. He's He's been known to do that multiple times, Luke. Did you see when he fought, when he got fat and fought uh, Mosley the second time? He did the same thing. I think we have it. Yeah, here it is. All right. Or when he told Oscar De La Hoya he was going to drink his wife's breast milk. That was yes. a very <laughs> yes. professional yes. thing he put did. It, put it on me. Put it on me right here. I guess they say if you can see it coming, Luke, you don't get knocked out. I don't know if that really works. But uh, we also have, I don't know if you saw that that fat and sloppy uh, rematch between Christy Martin and Mia St. John a couple years ago. Christy Martin closed the fight with this trick, but she almost got caught with it. It was a little bit tough to watch, Luke. Check this out. And I, yeah, then we hug it out. All right, that was weird. Let's move on from that. Uh, Luke, I don't know if you saw over the weekend in England, there was a controversial bout. Lewis Ritson took a split decision win over Miguel Vasquez, which nobody Dude. thought. I mean, Ritson lost every metric of the punch stats. It was a bad night for him at the office. This British judge, though, I don't have his name in front of me, was caught looking at his cell phone. And this was the guy who scored at 117-111. For Lewis, the Sandman Ritson. Luke, what do we do with this? And you getting mad at me for elder abuse? You have the temerity? Send this man to the old folks' home. Feed him tapioca pudding three times a a day. A hot and a cot. And be done with this loser. I mean, dude, honestly, (laughs) in all seriousness, you should lose your job for this. You should lose your job. What is he looking at? No, what is What do you think? I mean, I hope if it's nudes, I'll let him pass. I'll just be like, all right, he's a guy, right? He's definitely on red tube. I mean, there's no denying that right now. (laughs) Uh, Eddie Hearn is going to, he did tweet out that he's going to send this to the British Board of Boxing Control and get this bloke. You should uh, lose your job for that. I mean, these are people's lives, you know? Hey, Luke, let's check in. Do you get down with Barstool's Rough and Rowdy? You like when, when these uh, hellbillies send each other to hell? Check out this. Wow. Oh, God, God. Yeah. Hold, yeah. hold that, Jethro. <laughs> oh, Golly, son. Mouthpiece. Ah. <laughs> Appalachian I like... Thunder. Yeah. You, you know what, BC? I didn't know Vans made boxing shoes. Oh, wow. I think that guy, Luke, was bartending before this. They literally pulled him from behind the bar for this. Uh, Wow, yeah. Take me home, Country Roads. That's great. All right, let's go on. Um, Luke, uh, this happened again last night, but this video is a little bit older. It's a week old. Enrique Hernandez of the Dodgers hit a big home run in game one of the NLCS to uh, tie the game. I don't know. I don't watch baseball anymore. It's for old people. But, uh, hey, nice little home run there. But did you see the celebration afterwards no. that the Dodgers pulled off? Okay. Let's see. Okay, he's, ro- he's trotting the bases. Fuck the Braves, trotting, by the way. Yeah. Yep, there we Here go. Here he comes. All right, rounds you third. You got to do the Kirk Gibson, right? You got to do the lawnmower start. Okay, I don't so see anything. The... Hold on. What's the. There we go. Okay. Oh, here we go. All right. He does the fist dap. All right. You know. Hey, it's... hey buddy. How are you? Yep. Okay. So far. You know, so far, does the it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty hetero so far, right? Uh... Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Here God there we bless go. him. Tip on tip, Luke. That is awesome. You got to be shitting me. Just the tip, though, just for a second there. Shout out to the Dodgers. I think they're in the World Series. I don't really watch this stuff anymore. Yeah, who fuck baseball. But that is great. I watch the (sighs) Nats. I watch the Nats, but that's it. I don't care about anybody else. All right. Uh, Hey, this street fight video is making the rounds here. Shout out to Street Beefs. Did you see this, Luke, when Beverly Hills Ninja came out to fight the guy with the moves? Check check this piece of business style. Look at this guy, Luke. 
Look at Kung Fu Panda right there on the right. Come the, on, the, this is great. These two, these two guys definitely kings of the prom. Each one. Rivals. And all it takes is one punch, Luke. Bah! Maybe it was a kick. Hold that, as Luke would say. Good God. You know, if you're fighting in front of some hail, hay bales, then you know it's a you know it's street beefs, right? Bro, you yes, cannot respect. lose to the fat guy in the Halloween costume. You can't do it, that. It was very, you know, reminiscent of Haru, right? You remember the Great White Ninja, correct, Luke? Can we advance the slide, please? What, dude? I think every- this is. I think that's his doppelganger right there, Luke. <laughs> dude. It's a great movie. It still holds up. Okay, I watched it with my kids. Wow. Oh, yeah. Give it, put it on him. Put it on him. We've actually made a couple of Chris Farley references today. That's funny. Oh, yeah. Dude, I'll, go, back, go back if you could show the clip from the, uh, the fight itself. I just want to see something here very quickly if, I, if we can. I, know I don't know if Jay has that ability. Very difficult task. Now, right. this referee looks relatively normal, right? This guy here, he looks relatively normal. There I think is a, be the promoter, yeah. Oh, he's the promoter. Okay. Why is the referee here fat? Look at him. They're all fat. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Like Sideshow Bob put on like 50, 50 LBs there. Bow. Bow. Hold wow. that there, son. Wow. Amazing. All right. You would not believe how many times that video got sent to me. Uh, let's, let's check out some global prevention updates here, Dr. Fauci. This is in Mexico for an ESPN Deportes knockout card. Look, this is not healthy. What is this? Was there a fumigation? What is this? This kills COVID and or fleas. <laughs> <laughs> and or humans luke this is um i think th- i think this is hitler-esque what is this luke? yeah this it's is like awful. okay it's like good news it kills covid bad news also people <laughs> what is the point of killing everyone in the audience so that you can have an audience yeah i don't know i don't know well look there's a russian man and shout out to the great instagram account at look at this russian who has figured out another way to stay safe, Luke, you know, in this COVID times. Jay, can you hit the button, please? You know, we're seeing a lot of uh, hand sanitizer around, you know. Why don't, uh. why, why don't just get a little taste of that, right? Well, it's just, you know. You know, if you're, if you're going to make out with chicks during the quarantine, Luke, you do want to keep safe, right? Okay. You know what? My man is hard up for some booze. Somebody get this guy. <laughs> Somebody get this guy. This is the dude who, like, you know, is shoplifting NyQuil to get the codeine yes. out. Yes, he is. He's definitely a meth cooker. Yes, I love that, man. Great work right there. All right. Hey, speaking of um, famous Russians or, or Kurgs, how about the Valentina sisters here? The Shevchenkos posing with Don Jr. Luke, are all of our MMA heroes big MAGA heads or just most of them? No, I think most of them. There's very few on the other side. I think the huge majority of them. They love them some mags. Which one do you think Don Jr. prefers? Um, let me think about that. Probably the one with more gold. So I'll say Valentina. Yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair guess right there. Well, shout out to these. Hey, they, they have readopted themselves as Peruvians. So are they in your, uh, you, they are in your sphere of respect now as now, South Americans? Now, aren't they? I, I, I could be wrong about this. But I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they have Peruvian citizenship. They do. Th- they do. Yeah. So, so have you ever drinking um, Inca cola? It's called the yes. champagne of cola. They yes. have it at this at this bootleg store down the road from me. Um, there's only one country in the world. Jay, not, not time for a boiler yet. No, no, Jay. There's only one country in the world in which 
Coca-Cola is outsold. And it's Peru, yeah. and it's because of Inca-Cola. You know, Valentina, uh, uh, is a, uh, she has a commercial campaign. With, so, ready for this? So. Uh, every country in South America has their own, like, national brand. To your point, Inca-Cola is the big one out of Peru, but you can get it here as well. Just go to any, like, uh, uh, you know, Latin uh, grocery store. Uh, Colombia has their own version of it. It's not the same as Inca-Cola, but their own, like, national cola. It's called Colombiana. But here's the trick, BC. They have a drink there called Refajo, which is if you have a hangover on Sunday, when you get up to go have brunch to get over the hangover, you take a pitcher, you pour half Colombiana, half beer, and you drink that with your meal. Refajo. Is that like a South American Bloody Mary? Something like that. Would you have Refajo if you ever uh, got a hangover? Yeah, I try it because I get vicious ones, Luke. I get, I get, yeah. I had, I had a one beer hangover the other night because like the barometer changed, the weather dipped. No, oh, just drink more water, you little girl. It's not I that do, hard, bro. You don't know. Don't speak for my body. You don't know what goes on inside of here. All right. Uh, hey, Luke, you had mentioned on Friday's show in which we, you know, we debuted my cat Reggie Jackson, your cat Booger, your your beautiful <laughs> daughter, that Abuela was that was visiting Colombia right now. Let's check in with Abuela right now. They're <laughs> south of the border. <laughs> <laughs> you know what god oh, bless look at her. that smile look at that smile luke yeah <laughs> luke when i visit your home in dc i'll bring my family do you think abuela and i can get down like this uh i don't think that my abuela is necessarily all that big a fan of marijuana but we definitely will throw back a couple of beers together how about that okay all right well we'll talk about yeah we'll talk about uh the escobars it'll be great i love it okay great work yeah, don't luke, let's don't roll on here. yeah don't do that part. You can skip Don't that do, part. No, 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 no. Don't do that. All right. Uh, you know we like champ- trampoline fails in these parts, Luke, but check out this dude's left wrist as he as he sends himself to the deep, dark depths. <laughs> wow, Luke. Yikes. Ugh. Oh, I, that just makes my day. He just put his lover out of commission right there. Wow. Gravity's like, hold that. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. All right. Well, Luke, your favorite kind of videos on this segment. By the way, and, people... and I know everyone gets bitter at me when I say this, BC, but I'm sorry. The facts are what they are. You can devise whatever theory you want. Whenever we look at fails like this, BC, they're always white. And you can say I'm wrong, <laughs> but I'm not. And this is also why my kids will not be getting a trampoline while, while they're under my insurance policy. All right, Luke, your favorite videos are knockouts in which the, the man getting sent downstairs testifies to the congregation check out this fighting organization in vegas called pyramid fights we we've got a new preacher stepping up to the altar there luke wow testifying in church boy he saw jesus wow that is great what is that like a a high school cafeteria what are we who's who's watching this fight i know it's amazing it's like this is a pta meeting hey by the way let's watch this guy get brain damaged (laughs) Hey, you know what's amazing about this, though? We should talk about this for just a second, BC. We were talking about, like, the, uh, you know, the amazing Buckley K over Kasanganai, right? Maybe the best one in MMA history, right? Maybe. And people were saying, oh, what we love about it was what Buckley did. We don't, you know, not Kasanganai, not what happened to him. And I'm like, well, that's not totally true, is it? Like, yes, of course, you want Kasanganai to be okay. I mean, the sport doesn't work if people are getting really so so severely hurt in that kind of uh, uh, way. But it's like... How the person reacts who got hit yes. tells you yes. the story of the damage. And like, it's, it's sorry, that's part of it. The knockout. 
I find that in boxing knockouts of the year, if they fall face first, if the person does their job who, who, who lost their life in that transaction and like twitches or does something wild, that can add a lot to it. Luke. Okay. Uh, I, ho- I, I hope folks brutal. understand that's why you got to be honest with yourself about the fandom here. Yeah. Scott Van Pelt don't want to have this discussion. Okay. Oh, by the way, he replied to you on Twitter. Yeah, he did. Okay. Yeah, he did. He was a nice guy. DC guy. Yeah, nice guy. Nice guy. All right. Hey, Luke, you know, regional MMA, anything like this can happen at the PTA meeting. Tell me if this is morally corrupt or wrong. This fat guy faked a heart attack and then got the knockout, Luke. I don't know about this. Come on. Come All right. On now. My understanding, and I could be wrong about this, so please, someone double check us. And if I'm wrong, we'll, we'll do it in dead wrong uh, on Friday. My understanding is, at least for a time, and maybe this is no longer the case, BC, but I, it was for a time that faking an injury to trick an opponent was specifically banned under the unified rules. I actually think that this either was or is illegal. Wow. I had thought he maybe just dislocated his shoulder like Tommy Reardon, and they, they decided to let the fight go on for two more rounds like in Warrior, you know? But no, fake I thought it was attack. that I thought it was like that SNL sketch where they're talking about da bears and the guys all have heart attacks. And then, like, yes, pound their yes. chest to, like, work the heart attack through, you know? That's it. another Farley reference. What a day. All right. All right. Uh, hey, let's bring on the hot chick moment of the week. Uh, this chick started out in a two-piece, ended up in a thong, Luke. This is, this is great stuff right here. I mean, you know. Oh, ho, 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 ho. That, I don't care what, you know, pork and beans or something else down there. That's going to hurt. That is. Yeah, that's that, that camel's dead, Luke. That, yeah, that is that is. Uh, wow. Yeah. All right. Uh, I got one more for you on the way out. It is Halloween season, but we already have a winner for best costume. Check out this couple, Luke. Wow. wow. You know what? That is great. I love that. Predator. Ama- I know you could appreciate that. That is amazing. I love that. That's a great job. What are you going as hollo- for Halloween this year? Uh. I'm going as a boxing journalist covering the uh, Leo Santa Cruz, Gervonta uh, Tank Davis fight while I also watch Anderson Silva's finale. You? Uh, probably Chewbacca. While you're covering those same fights? Well, yeah. Well, you, know, you can go out. Oh, you can go out early with the daughter. Oh, okay. So my kids. I know. Halloween that... is uh, Halloween's canceled here. I don't know about your pl- Nick of the Woods. All right. Well, my, yeah. Here. Well, my kids are also at that. They're 12, so they're at that age, right? Where, like, they're at the border. Like, I went out. The last time I went out was uh, when I was 14, freshman in high school. And, like, every single house, they were like, they were like, why are you here? Like, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? My last year, I was was 11 my last year. You went out into high school? I did. And the kids I knew were still going out through high school. No, 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 no. Kids your age were going out either to parties not to trick no, or treat. No, they were going out. They were going no. out trick or treating. I'm no, no, they you. were no, no. They were bag snatching. Is what they were doing. They were bag no, snatching. No, no, no. I, I come from a factory town. We did things differently there, Luke. But uh, that's the shit of the week. Hope you saw. It. I hope you saw it, Luke. I okay. certainly did. Great job as always, BC. Uh, BC, time for odds and ends. What do you got for us on your odds and ends? Yeah, on the undercard of Lomachenko Lopez, we talk big about this guy Edgar Berlanga, the unbeaten super middleweight who was Stupid fourteen power. and zero. With 14 first-round KOs coming in, he fought, you know, a journeyman, but a tough guy in Linnell Bellows. And even though I hated the stoppage to a large degree being too quick, he did improve to 15-0 and with 15 first-round KOs. I know when that happens, people go against two. Who'd you fight? Well, look, not many guys fight 
people with pulses on the way up through 15 pro fights in boxing. But I'll say this, Luke, the power's real. The kid is like, what, 22? He's uh, from New York, New York, born and bred, Puerto Rican. Uh, look, that's a great boxing fan base, as we saw. They made, you know, they, they backed guys like Tito Trinidad, Hector Camacho. I mean, Cotto. you know, Kodo, uh, we thought, we thought uh, what's his name was going to be the next big star, but he hasn't panned out yet for top rank. But this kid looks absolutely legit so far. Obviously, you're never going to know. If, if he's going to gas out in round three until he gets there, but he's big, he's strong, he can talk on the mic. He said afterwards in the interview, I looked in his eyes, he looked like he wanted to go, so I sent him there. I mean, I, I'm, this has become a must-see TV. I love this guy. And you know who it does, too? Aaron Bronstetter, Canadian MMA uh, journalist. A great man, by the way. Loves love us, Aaron. loves the show. One of my favorite Canucks. Uh, he said he tuned into this fight because of us, Luke. So shout out to that, all right? Did he say that? I missed that, really? Yeah, he tweeted it out. He DM'd me looking for what time the fight was going to be on. Now, that's God a strong bless. Canadian man right there. Yeah. I love God that bless guy. Aaron Bronstetter. Definitely one of the good ones, one of the smart ones as well. Great coverage. Um, appreciate that from him. For my odds and ends, I'm going to go back to the uh, – oh, by the way, just for the, the Berlanga fight. Dude, that stoppage sucked. I'll agree with you. Did you see the eyeballs on his opponent before they stopped it? He was terrified after feeling Berlanga's power, dude. Yes, yes. Well, well, at least what we learned is that the power's real. I'm not saying the kid's Mike Tyson, but, you know, you start doing stuff like this, this kind of streak, that's nasty. That's yeah. nasty. Uh, okay, and so for my odds and ends, two notes here. I'll make them both pretty quick. First things first, well, sad to see it, but you kind of knew it might be coming. James Vick has been released from the UFC. He had lost, I think, four in a row up to this point, and his contract had expired, and the UFC decided not to renew. Now, as we all know, you get enough wins out there on the uh, – the regional scene, they might sign you back, so we'll see how it goes. He, he said on Twitter, by the way, I think Aaron Bronstetter was the first to report that, so I'll give him credit as well on that. But um, uh, he had said on uh, social media that, you know, he's already talking to a bunch of other promotions, and so we'll see what happens. I'm not ready to uh, bury James Vick. I've had a lot of positive conversations with him. I think he's talented. Obviously, he's got some things to work on in terms of his defense. But, you know, uh, let's head see what he can do yeah. in, in Call that Edmund, regard. Call Edmund, bro. You got to move that head. And I like him. He, he's a fun fighter. You know, when he's winning, Luke, he's, he's long and tall. He's fun. Yeah. And then last but not least, people keep talking about what the hell is going to be next for Kamzat Shemaev. What are we going to give him? Who is he going to fight? Yo, now, we still he got don't... the Dana seat on Saturday. You see that? You know that I seat next that. to Dana that, like, Connor would get or, or young Anthony Pettis would get always like whoever's next sits right there. Yeah. Wow. Or, wow. or Jake Shields when they're sticking it to strike force. Remember that? I was, that was a time <laughs> in MMA. Uh, but in any case, we don't know exactly who was next, but one of the names that a signed up for it on social media and B Dana confirmed was one of the people they were thinking about or trying or seeing what they could do. Chris Weidman. Now, Chris Weidman, of course, had, what, five losses in a row, something like that. Got back to a win against Omari Akhmedov. A little bit workmanlike, but he won 29-28, I think, across the board. It was the better one when, you know, the, the final bell rang. Kind of say, BC, you know, at first I was like, I don't know how I feel about this one. But now I kind of like it. Because if Chemayev can beat a guy like that who's big and strong and can wrestle, if he just knocks him out like he did Mearshart, I don't know what that means. But if he wrestles with him a little bit and he can hang – at that weight class, you got to wonder what A, it means for him down at 170, and B, for Weidman to win to stop his hype, it's actually a pretty redemptive win. I think I like yeah. this fight. I want to hate on it right away and be like, Chris, stop signing yourself up to death. But no, like, 
Especially, you know, look, I liked some things that Weidman showed in the Akhmedov fight in terms of uh, trying to mix in a little bit of a new style, trying not to take as much damage. And uh, yeah, this is this is the right matchup to kind of try to stretch him, stretch the young kid there. Uh, I, I like, by the way, first of all, the thing you love most about Jemayev is just that he's so ballsy. I, he tweeted out, let me go old school. Let me fight three guys in one night. That, I like that spirit. All right. I like mm. that a lot. Uh, by the way, I didn't put this on odds and ends. I just wanted to reference it very quickly. If you looked at Lomachenko's, so the whole motif was the Matrix thing when he walked out, the music, the whatever else. But also he had the code falling on the screen as his shorts. Now, the reason I bring that up is because he has a sponsorship. They have a whole line. It's not just shorts. It's everything. Gloves, shorts, tracksuits, whatever, the works for Lomachenko by Venom who, of course, is going to be the new uh, uh, you know, official uh, apparel provider of the UFC starting in 2021. BC is what we saw with Loma there, and maybe some other places as well. Does it give you hope for maybe some cooler gear, things that can be tailored to someone's individual personality that fans can get behind that Reebok could not do? Yeah, yeah, I think so. A little I, bit. I never hated the Reebok as much as people in terms of what it actually looked like. I just hated the spirit of the Reebok deal, how it took money away from people. But you know what, Luke? I got to say one one thing about what UFC has done, and maybe this sounds like corporate BC. I don't really care. Uh, when you see flashbacks to fights from the pre-Reebok deal, it does it does look minor league, and it's not just seeing Condom Depot or Dynamic Fasteners on someone's crotch. I, I like the uniformity of it. I'm sorry. I like uniforms, all right? Like like when I watch NBA games today and I see the, the sponsorship logo right here, I think it looks like AAA baseball, okay? I, I like the professional look of the UFC uniform. I don't care do what you, you Do your those, kids, right? w- when the school is in session, do your kids wear uniforms? No, but when they play basketball for the travel town team, they wear the same uniform. Yeah, it's, it's not a big deal, Luke, okay? They don't wear they don't wear uh, Luke's Donut Shop on the back. By the way, my town, we've got a Luke's Donut Shop. It's, it's like an institution here. It's well-known, Luke. I'd love if you could come here at one time yeah, and try Well, Luke. you know, uniformity is cool uh, when there's a purpose to it. But if the purpose is, you know, to do bad apparel that denies people money, I don't quite understand the value. Well, yeah, the That's denying the money part stinks, but outside of that, the no, uniformity no, no. I also looks, said, I also, cool. I, and in fact, not only did I also say I led with bad apparel. It's not good apparel. I mean, it might be good tactically, but it's not visually pleasing. All right. Um, and when you were in the Marines, you guys all wore the same thing every day. Right, but there's a there's a clear purpose to that from a... Uh, uh, Wouldn't a, it confuse the enemy more if you guys were coming out and with your own sponsors all over your uh, tactical gear? Yeah, well, if you were fist fighting for money in a way that was identical, you know, if war was identical to prize fighting, I don't know that it'd be the same kind of issue, but alas, it's Luke, quite different. Speaking of war, Luke, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, say it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Woo-ha! Isn't that what you what your Marines say? Woo-ha! Got you all in check? That's what no, they said that during is Warrior. Bust, that is Busta Rhymes, I believe. Oh. Uh, Brooklyn, not the Marines. All right, but that being said, BC, we got to let folks know there's a lot they can get uh, do to get in touch with us. We have a bunch of social channels. We are on, let's see, we're on Insta. We're on Twitter. We're, of course, on YouTube. Thumbs up on the video. Hit that subscribe. And if you want to give us a follow... In any of these wonderful places, certainly you may do that. Also, we have an email address. What did we get wrong today? What are we going to get wrong on Wednesday or any other place? Shoot us an email, oh, morningcombat at gmail.com. What were we going to say? Time out. Uh, time out here. Friday is our next homework assignment, our next art project. I'm uh, not done yet. What is I'm art? not done yet. I'm not done yet. All right. 
Okay, uh, well then, please uh, follow us, support us, and check out that Justin Gaethje interview that Luke and I had on Thursday. Uh, if you haven't yet, setting the stage for 254. And obviously, if you watch this show and you said, uh, where's the damn Habib preview? We'll be back Wednesday and Friday. We also got a lot of bonus uh, content coming this week as well. This is the new This is the new, new for MK all day, almost every day. So go ahead, Luke. Sorry to steal your thunder. There, yeah, so okay? for, uh, for Friday's homework, uh, it's my choice to pick it this week. And I'm going to go with a comedy special. We had referenced it, I think, either last week or two weeks ago. Patrice O'Neal, Elephant in the Room. This was the last televised special that he did prior to his death. I would argue it's not necessarily his best special, although you, it's certainly up there, but it is something that I feel like is... No one had the original perspective that he had. His death, I think, has been a dramatic hit to modern comedy. I could only imagine the things he'd be saying if he were around today. You don't see a lot of people in this world who have both original ideas and B, a willingness to espouse them, even when they're ridiculous, uh, and then C, can make them all funny. And that's Patrice O'Neill. And um, Elephant in the Room. We will talk about it, it on Friday. Is it on YouTube? Yes, it is on YouTube. It is on you. I think all it's right, for free on YouTube, it. but you can rent it as well. I haven't seen a comedy special since you'd be surprised, so I'm, I'm ready to check this out. You don't watch comedy specials on Netflix? You know, I, I try because I do. It's not like I don't love comedy. You know, I try, but Luke, it, it speaks to I'll put comedy specials right now in the same thing. I'll put pro sports. I want to try to watch this and I start watching it, but we have too many options. I end up on YouTube watching the 93 NBA playoffs over again. I'm sorry, Luke. All right. I like what I like. And that's the way it is. That's a great Genesis song, by the way. Luke, Genesis so good in my ear holes all day yesterday. So good. People, well, people try to call me casual because I like the Phil Collins era of Genesis. I'm not trying to tell you that Van Hagar is better than Van Halen. I'm just saying I like that era. All right. Get off my balls. Genesis. You know, all right. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Uh, all right. There you go. So uh, let's see. If you would like to try Showtime, you certainly can. Showtime.com right now. 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, no harm, no foul. You can go be a loser somewhere else. And if you want some of this great MK merch store.show.com right now, it's out there. By the way, Jay or somebody, maybe it was Gaff, was asking me before the show, Luke, if someone sends a picture of themselves wearing MK merch, will you unblock them? Yes, I will. I will. Ooh. I will now be, that I will do is that. a development right there. Yeah. I'm hoping Dana sends you something then. By the way, do you think Dana they, blocked I mean, Dana's me? A, Dana's a masculine male, Luke, as we know, and shout out to him for winning the quarantine. But do you remember that episode of Dana White looking for a fight where he wouldn't jump off the cliff and Rachel Ostovich <laughs> is doing backflips off and Dana bitched out and they they stood there for hours? Do you do you want to say anything about that? Yeah, I didn't quite understand. Does he have a fear of heights or some shit? What is that? I think he just got to a point where he's so rich now. He's like, I, I'm not effing around here. I'm not, you know, I'm not. And also, not, it's I'm like, not it's, this. it's like, it's like, what it, what are you watching in this video? Man does nothing at edge of cliff. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's scintillating content. Okay, for somebody, I suppose. Please go find us the next Sage Northcut. Thank you. Thank yes, you. Yes, just do that. Uh, all right, so coming your way Wednesday show. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Should be live, no guarantees, but I think we'll be fine by then. 
We're going to have uh, Dissected coming out, plenty more content. Folks asking, what about UFC 254 preview? As BC indicated, we got plenty of content coming your way for UFC 254. We want to just make sure we wrapped up the weekend before we lean into the next weekend, as big as it may be. So be on the lookout for that. All right? For Malka, for Showtime, for Brian Campbell and CBS Sports, I'm Luke Thomas. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.